World-class performances don't happen without world-class coaching, and world records aren't set without expert supervision coupled with a science-based training and nutrition program. In this episode, we chat with Slovenian ultra coach Alish Suhodolnik, a kinesiologist and assistant professor at the University of Primorska Faculty of Health Sciences. You'll recognize Alish as the coach of our previous guest, Stanko Verstovšek, who recently set the new 24-hour record in the outdoor road category, besting Christoph Strasser's long-standing record set in 2015. Stanko studied racers in the 2012 race around Slovenia for his master's degree on central and peripheral fatigue in endurance events and is currently completing his PhD in macronutrient periodization and the use of ketonic esters. Alish is a longtime elite Ironman triathlete, having competed in the Kona Ironman World Championships. He also coaches other professional athletes at the world champion and national team levels. We're going to get a little scientific in this one, but I promise you'll leave with a lot of practical food for thought to help you achieve your personal best. I'm your host, Justin Tu. Let's roll. Hey, Ultra Family, Justin Tu here, your host of the Ultra Cycling Show. Thanks for tuning in to today's special episode with Alish Suhodolnik, who you may recognize as the coach of the new world record holder in the 24-hour outdoor road category. That was Stanko Verstoshek from episode 26. Uh, Alish is also a kinesiologist and assistant professor for the Faculty of Health Services in Slovenia. He also holds a master's degree and is currently completing a PhD in macronutrient periodization and the use of ketonic esters. So really a pleasure to have you on the show with us today. Alish, thanks for joining us. Thank you. So big congratulations, of course, to yourself as the coach of Stanko Verstovšek. He set the new world record in October. That was a huge achievement because previously that record was held by Christoph Strasser, who we recently had an interview with, and he held that record for just over five years. And I'm sure there were many attempts at breaking that, but none had stuck. And of course, with your assistance and Stanko's superhuman powers, he was able to achieve that. So well done. Thank you very much. He's very superhuman. <laughs> He's a good guy. He's very, I mean, he's a special guy because it's not just uh, setting world record, but is in when he started uh, riding bike, you know, he's seven years in the saddle, you can say, not a whole life. That's uh, fascinating. <laughs> yeah, that's amazing. Of course, those who are interested to learn more from Stanko can watch episode 26 where we dive deep into that world record setting. And it wasn't without its mishaps. Stanko did have a crash. He also did have uh, quite a few issues, saddle sores and, and other things. You know, the very nature of ultra cycling and ultra endurance sports. Now, Alish, before we get into our sprint round of questions, just wanted to let folks know that you are not only a coach and a professor, so you actually are an expert in the subject matter, but you are also a very accomplished Ironman triathlete yourself. Just give me a brief overview of what that means for you and some of your accomplishments. 
I mean, you know, I everything I work is it's for my love for sport. Mm. Uh, you know, I, I start doing endurance sport when I was like 25 years old. I was already in, in my ages when I started. Uh, but I fell in love with the triathlon, with endurance, and uh, yes, I, I mean, I do, I, I finished my first Ironman uh, 13 years ago, uh, then I, I quit triathlon because I, I started uh, uh, studying, you know, and then I started doing do it again six years ago, and uh, since then I, I Reach Kona two times, uh, World Championships, and wow, cool! Yeah, that's that's my love. Everything I do, I do for sports. That's excellent. Those who aren't familiar with Ironmans and triathlons, the Kona Championship that is in Kona, Hawaii, and so it's a very beautiful place. Sure, you had a nice little rest after that big success. Enjoy the beaches and the sunshine over there. <laughs> oh, just two days. Just the days because yeah, it's it's a long trip, you know. You need to be there at least 14 days uh, before event to mm. to adopt two days after the the race. I, I went home, so it wasn't many yeah. opportunities <laughs> for beaches and uh, yeah yeah. Well, glad you were able to make it there. Hope to see you again soon uh, in Kona, and I'll look forward to being able to discuss more of your own athletic career. But also, it'll be fascinating to learn from you as an expert coach and professor and to see what we can all apply to our own training and endeavors to hopefully achieve our own records, whether they're a personal record or perhaps even a world-class record. So without further ado, let's get into our sprint round of questions, Alish, a series of questions to get to know you in a fun way. And you could answer in a few sentences. So the first question, of course, as it relates to bicycling, when did you start bicycling? When I started uh, bicycling, cycling. Yeah. Oof. I mean, I was 26 years old. I mean, it was it was really really late. I didn't do any sport when I was a teenager. Like I started later. Yeah. Hmm, interesting. And of course, here's some photos to give everyone a visual for what we've kind of touched on and what we'll be diving deeper into. Okay. So there's yourself. Is that yeah. in Kona? But that, that is in Kona in 2018 and behind is uh, uh, this uh, volcano. It was still active yeah. that time. Oh, yeah. Right over there. Yeah. Uh -huh. Cool. That's awesome. And then of course, we'll discuss some of your athletes here. Yeah. Here's yourself looking fast on the bike. There yeah. at the finish line. Yeah. And then, of course, we have some photos here. Well, here's your family. And here's Stanko in his world record setting just a couple months ago. Yeah. So, not even, how, not even two months ago, yes. Yeah. And so, how many bicycles do you own, Alish? Uh, three. I mean, I have a normal road bike, I have a time trial bike, and I have one old mountain bike so that's it yeah. <laughs> okay so which is your favorite of those oh i mean time trial bike <laughs> i enjoy riding it because it's yeah it's pure speed it's nice oh yeah now do you ride that one the most 
Yeah, I do. I do. Okay. I, at the moment, no, because it is in uh, in uh, service. But uh, mm. most of the time, I'm on TT bike. Yes. Okay. Cool. And what bicycle computer do you like using? Do you use Garmin or Wahoo? Oh, I have Garmin. Yes. Okay. I'm not uh, that I. It's obligatory for Garmin. I mean, this one I have and I use it, so I'm happy with it. Right, right. Okay, now when it comes to some of your bicycle equipment, uh, what size tire do you prefer using and what tire pressure do you like running them at? Oh, I mean, I always have M, like 55 uh, bike, and uh, 7.5 bar I use. So 7.5 7. bars yes. is for us here in the U.S. around 108, 109 PSI. Yeah, it's not, it's not hard. It's okay. Yeah. And what gearing do you use? Do you use a compact crankset? Yeah, I need to, yeah, I use compact. I'm not strong on a bike, you know. I'm a good runner, but biker, so-so. Okay, so running is your your strongest of the three legs in the triathlon. Yes, yes. far far the best time in in a right. run. Like, yeah. And then of course, uh, triathlon being a swim, bike, and a run. For those who don't yeah. know. Yeah. Now, do you um, also train and and race with uh, power and heart rate? Yes, I uh, I train with power meters in the cycling and also uh, in the running. I use street power meter uh, and I use heart rate just to to see when it's uh, everything going going over, you know, not to reach overreaching and overtraining, mm. just for analyzing, not for hmm. uh, setting the training zones. Right, right. Okay, interesting. Nice to hear. Now, fun question. What's your favorite snack to eat when you're doing your sports, particularly biking? I'm doing all my trainings, 90% of all my trainings uh, uh, without food. And uh, I'm like low carb, you know? And uh, my favorite snack is like Greek yogurt oh, with, yeah. with uh, uh, blackberries. Oh, delicious. Yeah, that sounds yeah. good. I'll join you in on that snack. <laughs> <laughs> that's cool okay now how about your favorite ride hydration what do you like drinking on the bike uh i use uh zero tablets like high five high five zero tablets is just it's just minerals without uh, any energy inside okay yeah. Okay. Now, how about your favorite post-ride meal? What do you like eating after, say, an Ironman triathlon? Oh, Ironman. Oh, pizza. <laughs> <laughs> okay, but uh, Slovenian pizza or American pizza? <laughs> in 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 Kona, there was pizza like in Slovenia. It was oh. quite the same. So yeah. Oh, good. Okay, good. Good to hear. Nice to know that. Okay. Now. How tall are you and how much do you weigh? Oh, I am uh, 177 centimeters tall and uh, I have 73 kilos. Okay. 
So for those of us here in the U.S., about 160, 161 pounds, about five foot eight inches or so. Yeah, probably. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Do you prefer riding the climbs, descents, rollers, or the flats? Rollers. Oh, really? Okay. Why yeah. is that? I don't know. I, I feel comfortable in rollers. I, I feel good. Even my... Uh, Results in Ironmans are always uh, better when the where the where is rolling, than if there is flat. I'm not good on flat, and also I'm not good on uh, steep hills and long hills. Mm, so rolling is the best for me. Yeah. Right. Okay. Is the Kona Ironman is does that have a lot of rollers in it? Yeah, it is. Uh, it's quite a lot. You mean? I mean, you have. 1,400 meters of uh, this level, you know? Mm. It's quite a lot for 180 kilometers. It's not flat. And they are like uh, open, you know? They are not technical. So it is very mm. fast. Okay, pretty cool. Well, I do want to show, uh, take a quick break and show everyone uh, give us a glimpse of what we've been talking about with Kona. Now, you're over here in Europe, of course, in Slovenia. It's just below Austria, this country there. Yeah. And of course, uh, and you live in Koper, right? Here? Yeah, in Koper, oh, by the sea. Yeah. Koper is by the sea. You see just a few ki- there, there, huh? there, there. Yeah, yeah, right there. Yep, and now, so if we, if we go back now out to Hawaii, part of the United yeah. States, of course, but it's way off the coast here on the west coast of California. And you go all the way down here and there is a few islands. Now, of course, the big island of Hawaii, that's where Kona is. And the yeah. Ironman championships are held there. Yeah. So that is a very long way. Now, which way do you fly from Slovenia? Because it kind of seems like Slovenia... It's kind of like in the middle and you can either go left or right. Like yeah, that, it is. Uh, we go west. We go west. Okay, this way. Yeah, because, you know, it's much better uh, in the context of uh, jet lag. Ah, okay. Yeah. yeah. You go there with the time, you know, you can, uh, you reach the corner the same day, like, you know, mm. it's much better. Yeah, okay. All those little details, they definitely do matter, especially yeah, when you're not staying for a very long time. Yeah. So yeah. nice to know. Okay, now, oh, why, why do you not like the climbs? I don't know. I, I, I believe I'm too heavy for the climbs, and the, my FTP, it's not big enough. You know, I have just like 300 watts FTP, mm-hmm. and uh, I, I, I'm not strong enough for, <clears throat> for being competitive on the climbs. I mean, I, I enjoy riding climbs, but I'm not good uh, as as athlete on the climbs. Mm, That's my problem. Now, do you know what your power to weight ratio is? Oof, on the on the FTP? Yeah. I don't know. I have like 73 kilos and uh, 300 watts FTP. Okay. I, yeah. Let's see. 4.1. Yeah, that's uh, that's that's pretty good. I mean, that's definitely above average. Well, yeah, it, it, like it's they solid, say, you know. <laughs> yeah, you cannot reach you cannot reach Kona if you are not solid. Let's say, but it's not uh, 
<laughs> it's not Stanka. Do you know what Stanka's uh, power to weight ratio is? Yeah, he is like 70 kilos now uh-huh. with 388 watts. Wow. Okay. So yeah. that is 5.54. <laughs> that is uh, very high. Definitely yeah. world class numbers. World there. class. <laughs> I always say he could be in the racing in the, I don't know, uh, UCI. If he would start riding 10 years earlier. Right, right. No, but very, very interesting. Now, of course, you are a very strong rider yourself. And that's one of the cool things about having you on the show, not just because you're a coach and a professor, but you know what you're talking about. Because even in your own athletics, you are a very high performer as well. And like you said, in order to get to the Kona Ironman Championships, that is not an easy feat in itself. Uh, for those who maybe only run, maybe it's something like qualifying for the Boston Marathon here in the U.S. It's it's a big deal. Or yeah. for doing something like the Race Across America for those cyclists, you do have to qualify for it. And, um, you know, even getting there, being able to finish well is is not easy. So yeah. Yeah. well done there. Okay. Now, when do you enjoy riding the most? During the fall, the winter, the spring, or the summertime? Oh, I mean, I love hot weather so for me it's no problem in the middle of the summer going out on my bike even if there is 35 degrees celsius i i mean i don't have problems with it i will not do the hardest training that day but i will go out absolutely okay cool sounds like you'll do very well here in the beginning of the race across america through the desert then (laughs) (laughs) yeah probably Okay, what but time? I will, I will rest this for, for Stanko. I will be just uh, behind in the car. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, okay. Sounds like a good deal, I suppose. <laughs> okay, do you, uh, what time of day do you prefer riding or training? Uh, training? Morning. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Yeah. Er, very early? I mean, not, not very early. Like, I, I wake up every morning like four or five o'clock because I'm a morning guy more than evening guy mm. uh, and like two hours later I can do hard training on the bike without problems. Mm, okay interesting. Now because yeah. we just recently had the interview with Christoph Strasser I was surprised to learn that he is not a morning guy and okay. prefers doing all his training later in the day. <laughs> we are different you know. Yeah, I can do nothing in the evening i cannot even sit behind the computer and do some work for for university or something like this or mm. for my athletes i cannot i can do everything in the morning but at yeah. evening. and and probably for the most part everyone maybe just due to schedule and work and other things uh, most of us do tend to do a lot of training in the morning and yeah. also with the you know lighter traffic and all of those kinds of factors okay that's now true, but, uh-huh. that's true but we are in triathlon so yeah. in in our level of triathlon you need to do at least two trainings uh, in one day so uh-huh. if you want to do, do two trainings you need to do first one early in the morning and then uh, recuperate regenerate and do it once again in the afternoon you know yeah geez that is a good point <laughs> Yeah, definitely a lot more to consider there. Now, when it comes to ultra cycling and then quite frankly, just ultra endurance sports like Ironmans, do you think it requires more physical or mental training and fortitude? 
I mean, you can be physically on the, the level of Stanko, but you don't, if you don't have head, you cannot do, you cannot set the world record and vice versa. You can have head, but if you don't have uh, the physiology, you can also, you can't set the world record. So, I mean, uh, the head is important, but without physiology, even head is nothing. Mm, yeah, that's well said. Very true. Especially when you're going to the extremes and trying to get maximum performance like Stanko, like yourself, like a lot of your athletes, you do really have to have both. Yeah. Okay. Now, Alish, I'm sure you've done many events through your lifetime, many races. Which one has been your favorite? Has it, has it been the Kona uh, Ironman Championships? Definitely. Definitely. <laughs> because I always said I love triathlon. I don't care about Kona. You know, if I, even if I uh, qualify for Kona, I will not go there and so and so. But uh-huh. once you qualify, you, you say, okay, I will go. And then when I came there, I was, I was, it was fascinating. Everything organized perfectly, uh, nice uh, conditions, perfect uh, race. And I mean, I love that race the most, definitely. Yeah, I can imagine. Now I do want to pull up some images here. Is, is this uh, at the finish line there at Kona? This is finish line, yeah, and me watching on a, on a watch, yeah. being disappointed because I missed my goal for 27 seconds, yeah. <laughs> oh, really? That's funny. Yeah, <laughs> I dreamed about going under nine hours, uh-huh. nine hours, and like you see, I, I, I do nine hours and 26 ah, seconds. Yeah, we see that up here. Yeah. Oh, that's pretty cool. Wow, so, I well... Are you going to be back out there anytime soon? Yeah, I'm. I have slot, so I will be in Kona like uh, in October twenty one. I have slot. I will be there. I will compete there. Oh, that's awesome! Yeah, yeah. We'll look forward to following your journey and seeing how well you do there. Thank you. Hope you're able to break that nine hour barrier for yourself. That'd be very. Cool. <laughs> that's why I'm going there. <laughs> yeah, that's my only goal. For me, I mean, I, I have dreams that uh, I will be able to bring uh, my athletes there, mm. you know, as coach. But for me personally, that's my only goal to, to mm. be faster for 27 seconds. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's, that's pretty awesome. Now, when it comes to uh, triathlon, for those who don't know, particularly an Ironman, so you're doing a 2.4 mile swim, right? 112 mile bike ride and then a full marathon which is 26.2 miles so in order to achieve your goal of under nine hours um what does each leg need to be for you the time oh uh swimming one hour that's my time uh bike four hours 44 sec uh, 44 minutes and uh, my run there was like three hours and nine minutes. Wow. So, yeah, in context, that is a very fast performance in each of those three legs. I mean, even for 112 miles doing that under five hours, that is, that is not an easy thing to do. I mean, even just do 100 miles, uh, the traditional century under five hours is, is quite an accomplishment for the average cyclist. Yeah. 
And so being able to do that is very quick. And even uh, you said three hours, nine minutes about for the marathon. That is a very fast pace as well. And I think- Yeah, I have, I have uh, I'm a good runner, you know. I, hmm. like a year ago in Italy, when I set uh, my PB in Ironman, I run like two hours and 50 minutes. Just three guys were faster than me. There was 3,000 guys on the road that day in the race, and just three went uh, faster than me. Wow. Yeah. Amazing. Yeah. I was really fast. Two two hours and 50 minutes I run marathon there. So, geez, that's incredible. So, what is that that, uh, mile pace? Oh, it's uh, six ten, like something like this. Holy cow! That is that's very fast. I think most people in their lifetime have never run even one mile <laughs> with the six minutes and ten seconds, let alone twenty six of them in a row. <laughs> I mean, I, I'm not uh, sure is there six minutes. I know it is. It is like four four minutes and uh, four minutes and two seconds for kilometer. That I'm sure. Yeah. Okay. Well, let's see. We could do a quick calculation here. Yeah. So um, let's see. In you said Italy, that was your personal best time. Yeah. And yeah. what was the time? Two hours. Fifty minutes marathon. Two hours, fifty minutes marathon. That's twenty-six point two miles. So if we do a calculation, okay, yeah. six minutes and twenty-nine seconds per mile. Twenty-nine. Okay. Okay. which is still very fast. I think uh, maybe the average kind of normal, maybe non-athlete will run maybe maybe in the seven minutes for one, one mile in their life. But again, running yeah. that 26 times in a row, that is, that is very challenging. So you are, uh, of course, a very strong runner. Yeah, I am. Now, I have some images here that you sent on the bike. Yeah. And looking very cool, very nice position there. Yeah, it is. Yeah, that's a, that's a really, is that, so that's your TT bike, your favorite? Yeah. Very cool. And then is this at uh, coming into one of the transitions since you're, yeah. it looks like you're doing something with your shoes there? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That is like 300 meters before a transition to, to run. Okay, cool. Yeah, those who aren't familiar with triathlons, um, especially for those who are really racing it like you are, man, there's all sorts of little tricks to just gain even a few seconds, uh, yeah. like taking your feet out of your shoes even before you finish the bike. And that is something you have to train for in itself, right? <laughs> That's not easy yeah. to do. It's not easy. You need to train, definitely. And then even before you get on the bike from the swim, do you already have your shoes clipped onto your, your pedals and then you hop on and you have to get your feet in while pedaling yeah. and moving? <laughs> yeah, that's right. You have the extreme shoes clips in, you, you need to jump on the bike, put the, the, the feet into the, the shoes, go fast. Yeah. That's Every cool. second counts. You see like 26 seconds I lose. <laughs> yeah, that's very true. I guess, well, in that year where, where you didn't break the nine, but you were just 26 seconds away, uh, how would you grade yourself with your transitions? Uh, was it a, a perfect? Good? Perfect. Okay. Yeah, I I, I uh, went back and uh, watched the pros how they do the transitions, and I was fast like them, so I I didn't lose like 10, 15 seconds with the pros. Wow, pretty cool. Yeah, 
All right. So definitely a high performer, even when it comes to just transitioning. That's a whole nother <laughs> skill. I need to get better at that myself because sometimes I get to a race so late that uh, they're going to start without me. But sometimes it takes forever <laughs> just to get all the layers on and shoes on. <laughs> all right. Well, Alish, I do want to talk now a bit about, um, you know, what you do professionally and to learn from you and to see and understand how you're able to coach and train so many high-performing athletes. And then, of course, we will get back to discussing some of your athletes, including Stanko, for those who would like more of a context of you know, how Stanko is training and what really makes him such a high performer, not just with his training, but also with coaching through you. The first question, I suppose, is, well, how long have you been a coach? Uh, officially eight years when I finished my uh, master's degree of applied kinesiology. Then I started working uh, officially as a coach. But, you know, I was like advice, <laughs> how, how to say, uh, even before, because I was quite good uh, uh, in a recreational athlete. And, but officially, I, I am uh, eight years working as a coach and like five years, I work as a coach on, on the top level. I have uh, national teams, like Slovenia national team, I have a, a girl from Croatia national team. I have a guy from Serbian national team, uh, all in a long distance triathlon. Wow, that's amazing. That's yeah. pretty cool. So what exactly is kinesiology? Give us a breakdown of that for us lay people who aren't experts like you. It's science of moving. Hmm. Simply as that. It's just science of... Uh, moving your body, you know? Right, right, right. So you also teach there at a university and you yeah. are teaching applied kinesiology yeah. and nutrition. So of course, both subjects, very important for any athlete, no matter what sport you're in, and especially for ultra endurance athletes like ultra cyclists, like Ironman triathletes. So, what would you say, just in a nutshell, in the topic of kinesiology, what are some big takeaways that we could all apply to our lives and to consider to make ourselves uh, better athletes? Maybe there's just certain principles that are good to understand or principles that you know perhaps the average person takes for granted or doesn't fully understand. Yeah, I mean... My, my main uh, philosophy is uh, uh, less quantity, more quality. That's mm -hmm. my yeah. main focus. Uh, then uh, being low carb is definitely a step forward or two steps forward. In endurance sport, I mean, not in short sports, in uh, anaerobic sports, but in endurance sport, it's the most important thing, I believe. And I also believe in, uh, in uh, like, like uh, block periodization, not linear periodization of the, the year, but uh, block periodization. Yeah, that's pretty cool. I'd love to cover each one kind of one by one and dissect what that means and how we can apply that and how you've applied that to people like Stanko. Now, you talked about low carb, and in our episode with Stanko, he also uh, adheres to that philosophy and that regimen for his nutrition. 
firstly, it'd be nice to understand what are the main benefits or advantages of being low carb, as you said, really for the longer endurance athletes and not really the short ones. I mean, you be, you became uh, metabolically efficient. You know, at higher intensities, you can burn more fats for for energy, and you can you can uh, spare your glycogen on the other side. So that's the main idea. You know, right? Okay. Burning more fats at higher intensities. Right. So what that means for folks is to understand it's low carb. Of course, if you're eating less carbs, you're replacing that with something else. And that is high fat. Then. Yeah. Now, of course, so some may be familiar with the general, you know, trend of a uh, diet called uh, keto is what you recommend. Is it uh, about the same or is there some variation of that? I mean, we do a periodization. We are never in the keto state. I mean, being in keto state means that you have in, in your blood like uh, 0.5 millimoles of uh, ketone bodies, you know, like mm -hmm. at the morning. Uh, we are not doing that. We are always uh, between uh, 8, uh, 80 and 150 grams of carbohydrates on a daily basis. Mm -hmm. But we do a periodization. It means when you have... Uh, a day with more intense trainings, you eat more carbs. When you have easy days, you eat less carbs. When you have like in, inside the periodization, you have like one mesocycle or one month in more intensity because you go to some uh, island to train. No? There you, you have more carbs because there is much bigger training load. Training load. So, that's the way we, we, we do. Mm, very, very fascinating. Now, yeah. I don't know, and I'm not very familiar with uh, things related to keto and ketones. What is a, key, a ketone body? Well, I mean, it's body, it's, it's a molecule who is produced in your body naturally. Mm. When you are in uh, energy deficiency, let's say, your liver can, uh, from uh, fatty acids, can uh, make uh, ketone bodies. And th those ketone bodies then are uh, energy source for the muscles and the brain, mm. you know? And now you have exogenous ketones. Now they can make uh, artificial ketones, let's say. And if you eat them orally, uh, the body can use them as energy source. Oh, that's very fascinating. Yeah, like bioengineering uh, for those ketone <laughs> bodies. Okay, for those who don't know and aren't familiar with all the technical scientific aspects, so glycogen is the primary fuel source and it is essentially glucose converted into a storage form called glycogen and that is within the muscles, right? Yeah, but I, I don't, if we look on this, uh, our sport, endurance sport, uh, it is really glycogen, the main energy source, because you cannot do an ultra endurance race on glycogen. It is very important source, but the main source is, uh, is uh, fats. 
because the intensity of this race is relatively uh, relatively low. It's not that that high intensity that you burn only glycogen. You burn f- mostly fats with glycogen with carbs. Mm. Okay, and very that's, interesting. That's why the the fats are important because if you burn fats in a higher intensity, yeah, you can have glycogen later. Mm. Now, you will not hit the wall. Mm, okay. So many athletes will be familiar with that concept of hitting the wall, essentially that feeling like you've run out of energy, you're bonking, those kinds of things. Yeah. Now, give us an understanding. So why is it beneficial to save your glycogen for later on? And how, like, how long can your glycogen store even last you, say, relative to fat? So folks can understand like, the energy density of fat versus glycogen. I mean, it's, it's simple. More, more than you are metabolically efficient to burn fats, less you will burn at some relative intensity carbs. You know? And if you, your body is capable of burning fats, let's say like on the 80% of your, of your maximum, yeah, this will be transported to the race. You know, you will be simply faster in the race because you will not burn your glycogen. You will not uh, be, you will not bonking so fast. Right. And even when you bonking, you will not bonking uh, so strongly. You will not, uh, after bonking, you will not be so slow because your body can burn fats at higher intensities. And even when you bonking, even when we, you are without glycogen, you will st- still be faster. Mm, yeah. So help us understand because at different intensities, just naturally without say training or without the periodization that you do with your athletes, the body uses certain fuel sources at certain intensities. So just walk through each of those, the macronutrients to help us understand generally for an average person, what that looks like. And then what does it look like when you're training and how do you try to change that? Okay, let's say like this. You have like, you do your rump test, let's say. You search for your anaerobic threshold. Mm. And when you have your anaerobic threshold, your body at anaerobic threshold start using only carbohydrates. Mm. At 55% of your anaerobic threshold, your body burns 50% carbohydrates and 50% fats. If you go on, on low carb, this will not happen at 50%, but will happen at 70%. It means at 70% of your anaerobic threshold, your body will burn 50% of carbs and 50% of uh, fats. Right. So you are sparing your glycogen. You are becoming faster. Mm. And that is because with fat, your body can store a lot more of it, whereas glycogen, it depletes very quickly, right? Definitely. It depletes very quickly. It, you have like 300 grams, maybe 400 grams of glycogen in your body. And uh, you can uh, put in your mouth, like in your body, like 60 grams 
per hour, maybe maybe 80 grams, but not more. And so sooner or later you, you rest without glycogen and then you, your, your speed will fall down. Mm, okay. And later that happens, better for you, faster you wow. are. Okay, so that all makes sense. So if we piece that all together, so what you're saying is that because if you're only relying on glycogen, but there's a limited amount of it, and if you're going too hard or too fast, or perhaps you're not trained enough for the intensity you're going, you're going to run out of that glycogen very quickly. And if you run yes. out and you can only put in a limited amount per hour, your body can only metabolize so much carbohydrates and turn that back into glycogen for you to use every hour. So you, you could always be in a deficit. And if you're an ultra endurance athlete and you're out there for very long, that means you'll always be kind of call it redlining and you'll be running on empty, almost like the fuel tank in your car. Whereas yes. with fat, you have, you can store a lot more of that ahead of time. Whereas glycogen, it kind of just runs out very quickly. And then you have to be constantly replenishing it. And for whatever reason, you're performing too high of an intensity for your training level, or you're not eating well enough, you're not being disciplined with your nutrition, then that's when you'll start running out of that fuel and you'll start bonking and hitting the wall, like you're saying. Is yeah. that, is that a, is that yeah, that's true. Yeah, it is. describe it? Yeah. Yeah. So very fascinating. So really the recommendation then from my understanding of what you're describing here and from what I can understand of these concepts is that for ultra endurance athletes, really having the low carb uh, diet is better because it'll train your body and allow your body to make that adaptation to use. It's almost like saying, instead of using a gas powered car, it's like using maybe an electric powered or a hybrid because you're able to use multiple fuel sources very efficiently. Yes. Yes. Whereas if you're if you're just on a regular diet, which perhaps maybe is on the higher carb end, you can only really rely on carbs. Maybe that's some high octane diesel or something like that. Something very specialized. Yeah, you have a very small. It's quite this way. Yes. Yeah. Mm. We can say this. Problem with fats is that we all have fats, but we don't have the the possibilities to use them. Mm. You just ride with them around, but you cannot use them you know so and if you go to low carb if you train this way you can use them mm. and specifically back to what you were talking about earlier you can use them at higher intensities where yes. as i was asking so it's certain intensities on just a regular training without doing the low carb and all these having these adaptations that you can use fat but only at the very low uh training zones or performance zones and once you exceed that like you were saying it'll turn off that fuel source and you'll no longer be able to use the fat and you'll now be using glycogen so you want to yes. your body to be able to use fat at higher intensities that way throughout your entire race you will be able to use the fat that you already have and you may have plenty of that to last you a long time and so for glycogen to give everyone an understanding of how little that there is if you were to do an all-out sprint you know, say at the end of a race, or I don't know, you're, you, someone's making an attack and you're chasing them down. How quickly does glycogen last? Is it a matter of seconds? Can it even last a minute? No, you can do, you can do on a threshold, like anaerobic threshold, about one hour. Hmm. So anaerobic threshold is, is uh, the, the limit where the body uses almost just 
almost uses just uh, carbohydrates and you can be on this level like one hour. Mm. And so for fat, give us a relative amount of time that it could last. I mean, you have like, I have 8% of, uh, of 8, 9, no, 10% of uh, fats in my body. You know, I have 73 kilos. This is like six kilos of, of fats. Each gram of fats can give you nine, nine kilocalories. So you can imagine if you burn 500 kilocalories kilo uh, in one hour, you can see that you, you, if you run on, on fats, you can do three days without eating. Mm, yeah, very fascinating. And, you know, this whole subject of low carb and high fat has been very fascinating even for me myself. And even when I was training for certain ultra distance events, especially in the multi-day ones like the Race Across America depicted here behind me, it, it was something that I was looking into as well. Now, I wouldn't say that I was very disciplined or regimented with the nutritional aspect. So now that we understand some of the, the perhaps the other uh, aspects of why it is beneficial, let's turn our attention now to the actual nutrition. What does that look like? And how can somebody change, you know, kind of a regular diet that is just a you know, normal amount of carbohydrates? What kind of foods can they introduce and how do they go about that day in and day out? No. The most important thing is the start, the beginning, because you need at least three weeks or even more, maybe two months to adapt to this kind of eating. Because when you start, your body is without carbohydrates because you don't give the carbohydrates to your body and the body does not know how to use fats. Mm. So in this period, the body rests rest without energy and it is not easy to go through first month just after one month when you adopt it's much easier everything and then you can see the benefit of this kind of doing you know but and what i eat i eat eggs almost every day i eat avocado bacon uh, i eat greek yogurt I eat a lot of salad, red meat, white meat. Uh, maybe it's easy if I say, well, I don't eat. I don't eat bread. I don't eat potatoes. I don't eat pasta, rice, uh, cookies. That's what I don't eat. Mm. I mean, I eat a, a, a small amount of this because I said I am not in the keto state. I eat like 100, 120 grams of carbohydrates every day. So you need to eat something to, to, to reach 120 grams of carbohydrates every day. Fascinating. So the keto state, why is that significant? I mean, what does it mean if you're in it? And why do you not want to be in it? Because we still have, we are still competitive athletes. You know, you still want to have high intensities. And if, if you want to train at high intensities, if you want to race at high intensities, you still have to have, to have carbohydrates, you know? Because without carbohydrates, you are not able to do this hard intensity interval sessions. Mm. That's the main reason, because your, your body still needs to know how to use glycolyze, uh, glycolyze 
to to produce energy. Mm, that's right. And okay, so going back to that now, with glycogen, your body can metabolize that and turn that into energy effectively much more quickly than fat, right? That's one of the differences. Yes. So when you need something to go, say, to do a very high intensity interval, you're doing a sprint at the, fin at the end of a, a finish line, you're trying to hammer yeah. up a hill, you need that glycogen because you'll be able yeah. to get that fuel very quickly. Whereas fat, it takes a little bit longer, but fat for the long term, like you were saying earlier, it's better as a long term fuel source, it'll last much longer, and you could rely on it. So the key here is that you want to be able to, again, use fat at the higher intensities rather than just relying on glycogen. That's it. Okay. That's it. Yeah. Thanks for explaining. And I hope folks at home could follow along. I know it was kind of technical there. And to be honest, the only reason I'm able to even follow you is because my brother is in a similar field and he okay. has a master's degree also in exercise physiology and okay. in very passionate about sports and nutrition and things like that, just like you through the years. So I've asked him millions of questions in the past myself, and I, I find it very fascinating. Now, how do you measure uh, how many ketones are in your body or at what level you are? Uh, help folks understand that. We have a, 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 like small apparat, how you say, you know, and you, yeah, you, Take blood from your finger tip, and you can measure the the ketones in your body. Right. It's it's simple. You can yeah. even measure in uh, urine or in the saliva, but it's not uh, it's not so Convenient. good measurement as in the blood. Uh, I see. Okay. Yes, I have seen it before. I have not personally ever measured mine, but a colleague at my work once uh, brought his with, and uh, he asked me because he wanted to see what mine was. And I felt it wasn't fair because he has been on a keto diet for many for a long time, and I have not, so I was a little embarrassed. <laughs> <laughs> but you know, it's not so simple because you can be... You can be endurance athlete on low carb uh, diet like we are. And when you measure ketones, you don't have high levels of ketones because your body knows how to burn them. So if the body burns them, they are not in the blood, you know? Mm, and, interesting. Yeah. So perhaps during or shortly after a, a bit of a workout or a race, it's not the best time to measure. Is there a, a time that you uh, measure usually? Yeah, in the morning. Mm. In the morning, fasting is the best. Mm. When you do this repeatedly, you can see the, the trend. You know, that's, that's important. Right. Now, when it comes to actually tracking the amount of carbs that you do take, since you do limit it to some um, kind of window, how, how do you make sure that you do fall within that range? Is it just that you're familiar with certain foods that you eat and you know the quantity of it? Two months when I started this, I am on this kind of food uh, from 1st of September 2014. I mean, more than six years I live like this. And when I started, I used uh, an application like uh, my fitness pal, I believe, my fitness pal. Yeah. And I set into this application everything what I eat, what I drink, 
two months I do every everything. And after two months, I I learn a lot, you know, and now I don't miss for 10, 20 grams mm. on a daily basis. Yeah. Yeah. So it is important just to get calibrated early on. But once you develop those ha habits and that routine, yes. then you'll be able to execute it quite well. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So it's not, it's not, it's, it's hard from the beginning, but after two months, it's not hard anymore. And when you see the, the benefits yeah. on a race or in the, in the hard trainings, then you believe. Because when I started, I started on the 1st of September and I say, okay, I will try doing low carb for, for seven weeks and then I will go run marathon here in our capital city. Mm. And I mean, I want to do it sub, eight, sub three hours and I run 248. It was like big surprise for me. I could not believe that that is possible. Mm. Yeah, and I and I and do it for next for another year, and next year I went at the same marathon in Ljubljana here, and I ran two thirty seven. Wow! It was like wow. That's amazing. Yeah. That's an incredible time, and of course, at that level of performance, uh, that is very much in in the top performing uh, athletes and runners in any event. So it just goes to show that. You know, the diet and the training and everything that you adhere to definitely helps. And for very high performing athletes, that is important. And I think even for myself, when I think of a high performing athlete, sure, there are world record holder type athletes, Olympic type athletes. But quite frankly, any ultra endurance athlete is a high performing one in the sense that they are they're out there and they're training, they're racing for very long durations meaning you're pushing yourself to the extremes. And just like maybe a shorter distance athlete may be pushing their extremes in a, in a short duration, say perhaps an hour time trial, for us, we are going to the extremes, it's just taking longer to get there. So it is important to take care of all these smaller details that'll help us, especially if you're going for several days or many, many hours in a single day. But to give folks a little bit of a break from all the, the fun technical scientific details, thanks for sharing all that with us. I did want to turn our attention back to the athletes that you do coach. And yeah. it would be cool to start with first this image here, which would you say, uh, well, what, what is his name? Yaroslav Kovacic. Okay. Yaroslav, so that's this athlete here in the black. Yeah. And tell us about where this event is uh, in this image. Well, this was uh, a year and a half uh, ago in Pontevedra in Spain. It was world uh, championship in long distance triathlon. Mm. And in a, in a big field of pro athletes, he, he finished on a third place. It was, I believe that was his best performance ever and best sport achievement. Incredible. And tell us about who this is here in the red. This is Javier Gomez. Uh, everyone who is in, in triathlon knows him, definitely. Uh, he's one of the best triathletes of all times, mm. and he won this race. Yes, yes, even I know of Javier Gomez. Of course, he is a Spanish uh, Ironman triathlete. And as you said, he, he um, always does very well all around the world in all the Ironmans he competes in. And so for your own athlete to get third place, just on the couple positions behind Javier and be, being on the same podium, 
That is yeah. a, an amazing achievement. Yeah, it is. It Now, is. Do all of your athletes adhere to the low carb diet? Or do you give flexibility to the athletes? Or are you also providing both the nutritional recommendations? You know, I'm, I'm known as a low-carb uh, coach. You know? oh, okay. So each one who came to me knows that, that I coach uh, low-carb, but it's not obligatory. I mean, if mm. you don't want to go to low-carb, no problem, because we have, I have other tools to bring you close to this. You know, you can do a high-carb uh, diet, but you can do fastings, you can do two trainings in the same day, you can do, you can do different uh, techniques yeah, to do training without glycogen, to do training, to do training without, uh, mm. without carbohydrates. But it's the best way, I believe, it's low carb. So all of my athletes who are doing long distances, they are all, all low, low carb. Mm. Yeah, they are all low carb. But I have uh, athletes uh, with, uh, with in the shortened disciplines, like short triathlon, sprint triathlon, Olympic triathlon, uh, running athletes, runners, they are not on low carb. Mm, okay, fascinating. No, good to know. It's very interesting. And also nice to hear that you do have other tools, other techniques to be able to help athletes achieve the adaptations they need to perform the levels they need to, to achieve their yeah. goals. Now you mentioned one that I think is probably interesting for a lot of cyclists and ultra endurance cyclists. And that's the topic of uh, multiple workouts in a day, or perhaps a double workout in a day. Yeah. What does that do for an athlete? First of all, first of all, it's, it's, uh, You, you're empty your, uh, with the first training in the day, you empty your glycogen stores. So you do, after first you first empty your stores of glycogen, then you don't eat carbohydrates. And after three, four, five hours, you do another training sessions on the, on the low, without uh, glycogen, without carbohydrates. And the, the adaptations to this training, it's much better in the endurance uh, for the endurance performance. Mm, you know? Okay, interesting. But you're saying, so this, is, this can work for even athletes that don't adhere to the low-carb diet, but you're saying between the two workouts in that day that you should not eat carbs during that time. No, of course not, because you want to go to the second training without carbs, without glycogen in your muscles, without glycogen in your liver. That's right. the main point of doing two trainings in the same right. day yeah okay so that makes sense so after that second training you can go all out on carbs and because for glycogen it's different from fat it's not like when you see a person and they're gaining weight it's unless they're gaining a lot of muscle that's when you would get more glycogen storage capacity but it's not like if you were adding fat you can really expand yourself and you can add a lot of fat so <laughs> even if you ate a ton of carbs after the second uh, meal, perhaps for dinner, uh, you can only max out your glycogen storage. You won't really expand that in the same way that fat would be stored in mass. Okay, so that If makes a lot eat, of sense. If you will uh, eat excess amount of carbohydrates, you will put them in, the, in your adip adipocytes, you know? <laughs> you will get fatter. Right, that is true. carbs, you know? Right, yeah, so I, did, I didn't mention that part. So. If, if you do eat as much carbs as you want, 
although your glycogen storage won't increase, but then your body will take this excess energy and now then convert that to fat. And then of course, yeah. if you don't have the adaptation to use the fat, then you're just adding weight to yourself, which ultimately will bring down your power to weight ratio amongst other things. Yeah, also this. So if you're doing double workouts, okay, well, for, for most of your athletes, whether it's on the short distance or the longer distances, or perhaps it's, it's the same for both. Do you recommend doing double workouts as part of just a general plan or perhaps as a regular part of a, a training? It's a regular part of the training. Yeah. I mean, all of them, most of them, they have like three, four days in, in the same week with two, two trainings in the same day. Even Stanko, who is not a triathlete, he's just a, a cyclist. He also do many times two trainings in the same day. Mm, okay, interesting. So it'd be nice to learn more about Stanko. So again, just to refresh everyone's memory. So here's Stanko. I'd imagine this one was getting getting ready for the, the record. Yeah, yeah. That's like 15 minutes, 15, 20 minutes before start it was this. Oh, okay, cool. Yes, and then here you are handing him a bottle. Is that just water? Yeah, that's just water. Okay. Maybe maybe a second before was uh, uh, exogenous ketones, mm. and then water, then water to to uh, flush the the, oh, the strange taste. taste of ketones. You know. Ah, I see. Okay, so that's an interesting subject that I'd like to learn more about. So the exogenous ketones. So you take it. You know, it, I'd imagine it's just like, is it a liquid? Yeah. Okay, so it's a liquid. You take it. It's kind of like just a small shot of it, I'd imagine, at a time. Yeah, yeah. It's okay. like 20, gram, 20 milliliters or something like this. Hmm. Hmm. Okay, interesting. Now, do they usually come in different flavors? You have just two... two uh, Two firms, so how you say, uh, which they do the ketone esters, you know, uh, and uh, it's just one flavor. Okay. It's just one flavor. It's just one product, and it's uh, disgusting. The taste <laughs> is disgusting, you know. Yeah. Yeah. It's like drinking kerosene. They said. Oh wow. It's huh. not so. It's not so bad. It's not so bad. I tried. No problem. It's not so yeah, bad. Yeah. You can. Okay. Without problem. Now, do you use those uh, exogenous ketones? Do you use that on a regular basis as part of like just training or like recovery? Or when, when exactly do you actually drink that? Uh, we drink this on uh, times when we have big training load, like uh, going to training camp. Hmm. When we bring training load really high, then we use it every day after, after training. Not for boosting the training, but for boosting the uh, regeneration, you know. Yeah. And every day we we drink after training uh, ketone esters, mm. and then uh, before race, e even this day before race, and between race we drink ketone esters. Mm. Okay, very interesting. And yeah. so after say that hard day of training. Do you just drink that one bottle? You said about 20 milliliters? Yeah, uh, we drink about 15 milliliters of ketone uh, esters. Uh, the other is 
water or something inside. Right, right. Okay, interesting. Now here's the photo. This is after Stanko did finish the world record. Of course, he set that. Yeah. That was just an incredible achievement, and it was in fact well there in Slovenia and on the same exact course that Marco Ballo had set some of his own records, which some of which were just this year as well. He also was the first to set the one thousand kilometer uh, record. Yeah, the same the same world was the same. Yeah. Yeah. Here's that episode for folks that want to check it out: ultracycling.show or on YouTube. Facebook, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, and they can learn all about Stanko's record. He rode 914.02 kilometers or 567.946 miles. That was an average speed of 38.08 kilometers per hour or just under 24 miles per hour. So for 24 hours straight, that is amazing. Again, just like how you're able to run uh, your such a fast mile pace, but you do it 26 times in a row. Now, Stanko had a ride 24 hours in a row. Amazing. Yeah. So I mean, how, how many how many of uh, the ketone esters was Stanko uh, having during that time? Or what did what did his nutrition look like through the whole 24 hours? Well, uh, we have like uh, uh, 60 grams of carbohydrates per hour. And we have 11 grams of uh, ketone esters per hour mm. now when you... we did and we didn't mix them so mm. he drank he drink like 15 grams of carbohydrates and after 10 minutes he drink 11 grams of carb of uh, ketone esters mm. and then 15 minutes nothing and then again carbohydrates and uh, this was the protocol mm. very interesting now is there is there a particular reason to not mix them uh, yeah, because we don't want to over, uh, I mean, to upset his stomach. That was the main reason. Hmm. That's an important topic, especially uh, ultra cyclists. I know many either have sensitive stomachs or perhaps they make mistakes like that. That's a small detail that perhaps a lot of us could overlook because not only do you need to get as much nutrients and calories as you need, but also you have to consider how your, um, your stomach will handle what you put in there. And so yeah. we've had many stories, even on the show and just many other stories from different events and athletes where, you know, perhaps they'll try some new uh, nutrition for the first time during a race, which is always a mistake. And then of course they find out that they're not able to handle that or yeah. they take in too much of one thing or another and of course, it becomes a challenge, especially for a 24-hour type of ride or a multi-day ride to be able to get everything that you need because after a while, your body just feels so saturated and it feels you know, like it's very difficult to, to eat or drink anymore. So yeah. it is important to also track those things. And so I'd imagine you were the ones tracking all of those nutrition details for Stanko during that 24-hour record? Yeah, yeah. I, I was the, that one and I wrote everything I write down everything uh, like 18 hours and then I became very bad. I start to, uh, I was I was sick, I mean, that day. So I went uh, uh, out of the, the car uh, and then I don't know what happened later with the, with the nutrition, 
But first 18 hours, it was everything at the time, at the minute, at the hour, everything was perfectly working. Yeah, that's awesome. And so those who haven't yet watched the episode with Stanko, you and Stanko are very good longtime friends, right? Yeah. We've been to police academy together like uh, 25, 25 years ago. We finished the police academy together. Wow. Yeah. And he was like uh, like 120 kilo guy. Wow. Fisherman. Yeah. And uh, then he started uh, to lose weight. He started doing uh, sport. And me too. I wasn't an athlete, like I said. I wasn't an athlete at th that time. Mm. I was party man at that time. <laughs> wow. Yeah, amazing what you can accomplish when you put your mind to it. But also to apply knowledge that is very important because even in the episode we had with Christoph Strasser, he was talking about, you know, he's been uh, racing ultra cycling for 18 years since 2002, but really training at a very high level since 2006 of so 14 years. But he was saying that what he learned most in, the, in his first years was, you know, he wasn't training with a coach and he was just going based on his own, what he calls his own wisdom. And of course, what he learned both nutritionally and for training is that it is important to track things, but also to know what to track and why things are important. And so for those who don't have a coach, uh, this is a great episode. And we thank you for sharing all of your knowledge and insights with us. So that way people can understand why it is important to know what they're doing, especially if they plan on doing something extreme like uh, an ultra cycling event whether they're trying to set a, a world record or just a personal record in order to achieve the performance that you want uh, you do have to consider these things and you've shared a lot of i think golden nuggets that we could all take away and and try to apply in our own lives now you also did talk about two other topics you talked about quality over quantity you also talked about block periodization. I just want to briefly cover both of those so we make sure that we don't leave that out since it is uh, a big part of the philosophy of your own training, but also your coaching. So perhaps when it comes to block periodization, what does that mean? And what does that look like? And what, is the, what are some of the main takeaways that we can all take to apply to our lives to make us uh, better athletes? Okay, I mean, the, the classic periodization is linear periodization when you start, where you start with a small quantity and then slowly you bring quantity up, yeah? Uh, and then you start doing intensity. I mean, that's, that's even for me, the main idea. I do this, but inside this kind of periodization, I put uh, like, mesocycles, block cycles of specific work because each athlete has uh, problems, you know? And huh. we, in, inside these blocks, you can do trainings just on these specifics. You can see where the, 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 the athlete has, has a problems and then you put inside the big organization, you, you set the block block periodization and you just work like on the strength or you just work on, on power or on, on uh, muscle endurance or whatever you want. Mm, very interesting. Now, how do you track all these things? Do you use software to communicate with your athletes, something like training peaks or something similar? Yeah. I use training peaks. Yes. Mm, okay. So 
I use training picks. I use training picks for follow them, but for uh, analyze the trainings, I use Golden Cheetah because I export all the data in the Golden Cheetah. In inside the Golden Cheetah, I do analyzes. I, I analyze the trainings. Hmm, interesting. And so, are you setting training? Is it like a week in advance, or how 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 far in advance are you are you looking at the the previous workouts and then assessing what needs to be done? Uh, uh, I said inside the training peaks, one month of, uh, of uh, uh, plan, not specific, but just plan for mm. one month. And then for one week ahead, I said the old trainings inside. Mm, interesting. Yeah, very fascinating. So, so you, can, you can see, let's say you can see for three weeks uh, ahead what you will have this day. Huh. How long will be this training? How, inten- how high intensity will have this training? But you will not have uh, written down everything about this training. Oh, and yeah. you will have for one week, you will have everything. Mm, fascinating. So give us one example, say with Stanko, where you had to put a block of training there, you know, at any point throughout his training for the 24-hour world record time. Uh, what did that look like? What, what did you notice uh, in his training and you realized, okay, we need to add this thing in there? Give us one example. Oh, I mean, we do last year two blocks of uh, specific uh, bi- uh, cycling power, you know? Mm. Uh, it means he works in the in the fitness also for strength and the, and the power. Mm. And then I saw that in, on the bike he's not so powerful as I think he could be. You know? mm. So uh, I set him 14 days of big training load of doing uh, hard intervals, low cadency, you know. Like three times a week, mm. he do this kind of, of uh, training. Ah, I see. Okay. Yeah. So uh, putting it on a very high gear and kind of grinding yeah. away at that at a very yeah. low cadence. Hmm. Yes. Now, yes. what is, what, okay, if you could only give somebody one workout to do to increase their power on the bike along those lines, what would that look like? Oh, it will do just one. I think the most important is like the minimal speed that brings you to uh, maximal oxygen consumption. It's just above uh, anaerobic threshold. And it's like six times three minutes with two minutes rest. Mm, Interesting. And then after that, is that the end of the workout after a cool down or are you still doing something uh, after that in a different zone? No, I mean, I prefer doing do two trainings. Like mm. this one is first, and then you do uh, three, four hours of uh, rest, and do, and then the other training where is low intensity. Mm. Okay. So do you always typically? So everyone, even for Stanka, they're doing multiple days of double workouts, and so the first workout will always be at that high intensity because they have the glycogen storage. Typically, it's not. It's not always like this because he's mm. low carb. We don't. Oh. I don't, yeah, you know. Right, right, right. So for him, because he's able to use mostly fat as a fuel source, really yeah. he's good to go on either training. So there are also days where he's doing the higher intensity as the second workout, which must make it more difficult since he's already had one workout in for the day, right? Yes. And you, you, you even in this high intensity 
workouts. Maybe you are not so efficient, you know, because you are empty. You don't have glycogen. You don't have such a big power. But again, maybe, just maybe, the, the uh, physiological adaptation is better this way. Mm, right. Yes, yeah, so when you're pushing yourself to the extreme, then that can help you grow and expand your capacity because yeah. obviously your body's looking for something that it doesn't have today, but perhaps in a month's time, it will have that. Okay, yeah. that makes good sense. Now, last topic, Alish, quality over quantity. I mean, you've kind of already talked about that, but not specifically or directly. Just explain to us why that is important. And perhaps you could also talk on the subject of, you know, I think for many, especially ultra endurance athletes, perhaps non-professional, non-world you know, record type athletes, um, we tend to make the mistake of always training too much. And we're instead of, you know, just doing a very high intensity for one or two hours in a, in a general training, you know, many athletes are riding, you know, many, many hours every single week and their long rides on the weekends are, you know, six hours, seven hours, eight hours, something very long. So tell us why it's important to train with the quality over the volume of miles and how that could benefit the average rider. You know, it's, it's, like this, you, you need to train all aspects of your body. Mm. Yeah? Not, not just aerobic capacity or just aerobic power. You need to train anaerobic capacity. You need to train anaerobic power. You need to train activation of muscle cells. You need to train uh, all the aspects. And if you, have, if you want to do this, you need all intensities. Yeah? Mm. And you need to know what will you do with your next training? I mean, that's my philosophy. You need to know what will you do with your next training. If you don't know what you will do, it's useless. It will be just another training at the same intensity and you will doing the same, you will searching for the same physiological adaptation as you do last, yesterday, two days ago. No, you need to go through all the aspects of your physiology. No, I mean, that's, that's why. And, and the key here, right, Alish, correct me if I'm wrong, but if an athlete already is training one or two hours a day, you know, they're not professional, they may not even consider themselves to be very fast and they're just looking to finish an event and they don't really care about the performance. If they were to just be a little more intentional about changing it up a couple days a week and adding in some intervals, adding in some high intensity, they'll do themselves a big favor because they'll get a lot faster in doing it. And it's not like they have to add another two hours to their workout. And just in the same time frame, right? They can achieve that. Definitely. You just need to be uh, careful not to overreach yourself, you know? That's the main problem here mm. with higher intensities. You will get perfect adaptations, but mm. you are on the limit that you can go over you can overreach yourself that's right that can become a problem and and that's why it's very important to have a coach like you to be able to assess the data and the numbers that a software like training peaks will show the different factors that you can look at but somebody has to understand what they're looking at and be able to advise what to do next now it is good to know that there are people like you who have so much knowledge but more than that also passion for the sport <laughs> now 
of course, you train many other athletes. Just give us kind of as we close out here on this uh, very wonderful interview with you, give us uh, some of the highlights of some of your other athletes so we can understand who you're training, what they're up to, and perhaps even some goals for the future. Even for Stanko, I know he has a big uh, goal for 2021. Oh, I mean, I can start with Stanko. Next year, we will go to race across Italy. Yeah, it's like... 800 kilometers, like mm. something like this. And uh, we will try to set the new world record on a, on a track, outside track. Right. 24 hours world record, yeah. And then, uh, like I said, I have Jaroslav Kovacic, like I said, he was third in a world championship last year in long distance triathlon. He set the, the personal best and the Slovenian national record with under eight hours in uh, Ironman with seven hours and 55 minutes. And I have uh, the national record holder, woman national record holder of Croatia with Jelka Shaban Milicic. And I believe I have new future champion uh, Strahinja Trakic from uh, Serbia. He's a great big talent. Uh, I also work with uh, the pro team, triathlon pro team, PPR team uh, from Torino, Italy. I'm officially uh, coach of this team with five, six pro guys and girls. And uh, I have many, many age group athletes, mm. which are all good, but you know, they are not uh, like uh, world-class athletes, but I'm proud of them and they all do very, very well. Uh, under my control, yes. Yeah, no, very, very fascinating, interesting. Geez, and it sounds like you're very busy. You have many athletes under your coaching, under your wing. And at the same time, you're also training and a high-performing athlete yourself. And then you also teach and share all of your knowledge and passion with many students there in Slovenia. So that's really awesome and glad to take a bit of your time to learn more about you as an athlete, but also you as a coach. We hope to follow along on your journey and also all of the journeys of your athletes and we wish them all the best and hope to see you back in Kona again next year. <laughs> Hopefully it's on and everything goes well. Yeah, I hope so. <laughs> now, a couple last questions as we close out here, Alish. First one is, what else do you have on your own bucket list as an athlete? I mean, I want to go next year. I, I will go to two Ironmans. One is one will be in uh, July 11th in uh, Spain, mm. and there I want to beat my personal best. Mm. I want to go. I want to go sub 8:40. I know this is wow. quite, yeah. <laughs> Maybe. Big goal, but I, I believe I can do it. I can. I want to go uh, Kona sub nine hours. That's my main goal. But as a coach, I want to bring athletes to Kona and do there them to to make them personal best there. That's my main goal. And I believe I can bring some athlete one day to the Kona podium as a pro athlete. Yeah, that's awesome. Jeez, it, it must be really rewarding and satisfying to have such incredible athletes. And I'm sure it's been quite a journey even for yourself 
to get to this point with them and just seeing them grow and also seeing all of your expertise bear the fruits uh, that it has, world records, incredible podium finishes with some of the world's best athletes there. And yeah. so uh, well done and keep going what you're doing. Uh, it's amazing to, to see what your athletes are able to achieve. And it's nice to just get a bit of a glimpse into uh, what makes them successful uh, with some of your strategies and your philosophies. And we hope to have you back on the show again in the future. But until then, we wish you all the best and we'll be following your journey. And again, hope to see you in Kona, Hawaii for the Ironman Championships next year. <laughs> Thank you for your invitation. Yes. I definitely. hope it will be everything perfect next year without COVID. Yes, yes. We all wish that and we hope that all the races will be on so we can all participate and then you can and all your athletes will be able to because I'm sure they're all training hard even through this year and ready to kind of put that training to the test. So thank it you. was the perfect year for training. It was the perfect year for training. Without races, nothing interrupts the, the training process. So each one of them went up with the performance, will go with, up with the performances next year, I'm yeah. sure. That seems to be the trend this year, even with our other guests on the show. Whereas some people may think that people would be training less or something like that. In fact, there's nope. been even better training. And so 2021 yeah. is going to be a really big year. And we'll look forward to seeing what your athletes can accomplish. And of course, yourself. And hope you do break that uh, nine-hour barrier at Kona and just better by 26 seconds. But I'm sure you'll get even faster than that. <laughs> <laughs> I hope. Well, Alish, thank you very much for your time. And for those who are watching at home, hope you enjoyed this episode, learned a lot. I know there was a lot of scientific technical details, but it's all very relevant to any athlete, whether you're a world-class athlete, an age grouper, or just you know trying out the sport for the first time or trying to get to the longer distances. Definitely research these topics more, and we hope to have Alish back on the show again. And until the next episode, everyone, keep spinning ultra. 